0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. It's time for the legendary Law and Order Stories of the Wild West. This podcast features a forensic psychologist that looks at the history of the most infamous and famous outlaws and cowboys of the Wild West. So sit back, partner, and take a listen. Our notorious outlaw of the Wild West we're going to be talking about today is Bill Downing, a.k.a. William F. Downing, born in 1860 and died in 1908. He was a notorious outlaw during the Wild West era in Arizona. Downing had fled from the Texas Rangers posse, who was after him when he came to Arizona. In Arizona, he was involved in the killing of William S. Slim Trainer and in various train robberies, including the robbery of the train depot in the town of Cochise. Remember that town? Yeah, it kind of probably has a little flashes of tombstone, if you remember that town. <clears throat> in 1899, Big Nose Kate, the famed sidekick of Dr. Holliday, lived in Cochise while she was working at the Cochise Hotel after Holiday's death. But we'll see if there's any relationship here with Downing or not. But first, let's look at the background of Bill Downing. He was born in Texas. He was in trouble in the, with the law when he came to Arizona Territory. I remember he was born in 1860, so we'll see when he got in trouble with the law. Allegedly, his real name was Frank Jackson, a teenager who was a member of the Sam Bass Gang. Jackson had been involved in a shootout at Round Rock, Texas, between the Bass Gang and the Texas Rangers in July 1878. So he was about 18 years of this age. Jackson was shot in one leg but survived. The posse killed Bass. However, Jackson escaped and rode through New Mexico until he reached Arizona, where he assumed the name William F. Downing, or we're going to be calling him today Bill Downing. Once he settled down, he sent for his wife, Linda Downing, who was also a native of Texas. Downing never spoke about his relationship with the Bass Gang, however, so there is speculation about that story. He and his wife settled down near the small Sulphur Springs mining town of Pierce. Kind of give you an idea. Pierce, Arizona, are they're adjacent to un, it's adjacent to unincorporated communities in the Sulphur Springs Valley of Cochise County, Arizona a so location of Pearson, Arizona, also known as Ghost Town. Um, the population was kind of hard. It was settled in 1894. It's located between the Cochise stronghold, Chidakawa National Monument, and the Winter Sandhill Crane Refuge of Whitewater Draw, making it popular for birders, history buffs, hikers, and climbers. So, if you're back down there, ever go that way, you might kind of see if you can find any history of William F. Downing. It's got about 4,400 feet of elevation. The area is also known for its milder summers, which make it ideal quality for grapes and vineyards. So if you're a wine connoisseur, this may be the place for you. More back to the story. Downing worked as a cowhand at nearby ranches. He was hired to work on the Esperanza Ranch, which was known for hiring rustlers, outlaws, and renegade Apaches. It's an interesting ranch. Though Downing became known for his quarrelsome nature, he was also known to be less quarrelsome when he was drinking whiskey. Downing and his wife again moved to the town of Wilcox. There he spent most of his time hanging around saloons and associating with the members of an outlaw gang run by Albert R. Burt Alvord. Remember Bert Alvord? We talked about him before. Who was the town constable when he wasn't working as a ranch hand. However, there was a particular person whom Downey did not like, and that was William S., or otherwise known as Slim Trainer. Trainer, who also went by the name of Bill Trainer, was a native of Tennessee who, at one time, had been an outlaw, mine guard, and a veteran Rough Rider, campaigning in Cuba. If you remember that, the Spanish-American War under the command of Teddy Roosevelt, he was hired by Edward Russell Hooker, a cattle inspector, to look after his father, his father Henry Hooker. Remember that from Tombstone, Sierra Bonita Range interests. Trainer was engaged to be married to Myla Allaire, a young lady who was a member of the Wilcox ranching family. Let me go backtrack a little bit because I messed it up, and I know sometimes I do that. Um, so we go back. Downing was hired by Edward, Edwin Russell Hooker, a cattle inspector, to look after his father, Henry Hooker, and the Sierra Bonita Range interests. Back to the story. He suspected Downing, this is a trainer, of stealing cattle and rebranding them. As such, he made it known publicly that Downing was a rustler, that he was looking for him. On the evening of May 19, 1899, so Downing now is probably about 29 years of age, Trainer and his friend Henry Taylor, an off-duty bartender, walked into Tom Folgum's Elite Saloon on the corner of Mailey and Haskell Streets. Some witnesses say that Downing came in after Trainer, while others claim that Downing was already in the saloon. This is the issue with eyewitness testimony. Even today, there seems to be a lot of discrepancies. They've done a lot of studies where they show people the same exact video of a car accident or of a robbery. Sometimes people add clothing, like hats that were never there, or maybe different colors. When there was actually a green hat, people, eyewitnesses, will say it's a red hat. Not everybody, but the accuracy accuracy level of eyewitness testimony is pretty low. So it doesn't really surprise me that some people saw downing there before or after trainer that's very common when it comes to eyewitness testimonies witnesses to the events that followed stated that when Downing walked in trainer dropped his right hand as if going for his gun four shots rang out from Bill Downing's pistol and Bill trainer lay dead on the barroom floor shot through the head and chest Downing was arrested and during his trial he claimed the following Quote, I accepted Taylor's invitation to take a cigar, and as I answered, Trainer whirled around as, through, as though he went after his gun. As I stepped up to the bar, I was watching him on account of the threats he had made, and I looked outside. I thought it was a life and death matter, and drew my gun and jerked Thomas Burt's back so as not to shoot him and commence shooting. I am not certain as to how many shots I fired. End quote. By the way, that's very common, especially for law enforcement and military, but usually law enforcement when they engage in a what they call it an OIS, an officer involved shooting, a lot of times they don't remember. I've spoken to several officers that thought they fired maybe five or six shots, and they fired maybe ten or more. Sometimes they think they fired only two or three shots, but they fired six. It's really hard when you're in the middle of a shooting. What ends up happening is you have a physiological changes, you have what they call tunnel vision. So you're really only seeing a small amount of area right the target in front of you or the perpetrator whatever the threat is in addition you have auditory exclusion this is what messes up the count of shoot of count of shootings or the count of shots being fired if i can even talk the sh- count the counting of shots being fired auditory exclusion means you only hear certain things that's what people can be yelling at you in the middle of a shooting you hear people yelling at the cops hey look at they don't hear that most of the time now i did talk to a green beret once who said he was a doctor as well He was a medic in the green beret an alpha, I think it was 18 alpha, and what he said that uh, for him that helped is looking to the right or to the left. I can't remember which side, and that seemed to alleviate the auditory exclusion and able, able to hear what's going on around him. So again, they get auditory exclusion, they get tunnel vision, they also their their um, fine motor skills become compromised. So it's really difficult to handle a gun at that point. Now you can get better at this and reduce the effects, but the effects always happen. So it's not uncommon for somebody like Bell Downing here when he says, I'm not certain as to how many shots are fired. So I threw a little bit of uh, background on that. Constable Alvord testified that he took the pistol and belt off the person of the deceased. He continues his state that he found the pistol loaded with five cartridges and on one empty chamber. The pistol was in the scabbard when he took it off the deceased. No one took and checked Downing's gun. According to the constable, Trainer's body bore wounds from three bullets. One had torn through his breast and exited his shoulder. The other two had penetrated his skull. It's pretty good aim. The coroner's jury found that Downing was acting in self-defense and was justified. By the way, folks, if you don't know, I am a consultant in forensic psychology and I teach on criminal behavior, so sometimes I'll throw in that expertise into this particular podcast. The constable, Bert Alvord, was hired by the town of Wilcox To police the boisterous cowboys in the area Because of his reputation of being a bad man in Tombstone Well, it looks like Alvord hired Bill Downing and Billy Stiles Remember Bill Stiles as deputies Together with the newfound legality They would be able to pursue their criminal careers Without arousing the suspicion of the town folks Among the members of the newly founded Alvord-Stiles gang Were local cowboys such as Matt Burtz The Owen brothers and Jack Dunlap they conspired to hold up the Southern Pacific's westbound No. 2 and 10 train that stopped at Cochise Station at Cochise Junction. In order to carry out this mission, Downing burglarized the Soto Brothers' mercantile store in Wilcox where they pilfered dynamite. Subsequently, Downing and the gang burglarized a mining camp in Dos Cabezas where they stole additional dynamite plus explosive caps and fuse. The date for the robbery was all set, September ninth, 1899. Downing was about 29 still. It was Downing's responsibility to tend to the horses. Stiles and Burtz were to stop the train at Cochise station and proceed with the robbery. They held at gunpoint, the engineer, the fireman, the mail clerk, and a Wells Fargo man. The safe inside the express car was blown up. Their first heist was successful. They made about two thousand to three thousand dollars in cash and jewelry. Think about this. This is over a hundred years ago. It's that's a lot of cash. I don't know if you know what even equates to today. Maybe a couple hundred grand? Alvord organized a posse when the news of the robbery reached Wilcox. He sent the posses in all directions, except the right one. Downing, Burt's, and Stiles stashed everything in Burt Alvord's chicken house in Wilcox, and when they joined the posse, as expected, the posse didn't find anything. The stolen goods were removed from the chicken house and stashed in Bill Downing's ranch near Pierce. The only member of the gang that took his share was Matt Burtz, who headed to the state of Oregon. On February 15, 1900, the Alvord-Stiles gang attempted a second major robbery, this time in Fairbank, Arizona. The members of the gang who participated in the holdup of the New Mexico and Arizona's northbound on the Nogales-to-Benson line were Jesse Three-Finger Jack Dunlap, Tom Bravo Juan, Yoaz, Robert Brown, and Joe Lewis Owings. However, they were unaware that Jeff Milton a Wells Fargo Express messenger, was aboard the train that day. Milton was an ex-Texas ranger and had a long career in law enforcement. The gang's attempt to rob the train failed because of Milton's intervention. He fired his gun and shot Jack Dunlap, despite the fact that he himself was wounded with a bullet on his left arm between the shoulder and elbow which shattered the bone and left his arm useless. The gang fled the scene and left Dunlap behind. Not very kind. When a posse from Tombstone arrived and found Dunlap... He decided to cooperate and told him the names of those involved in the attempted but failed robbery. Dunlap died shortly after the encounter, but not before, implicating Alvord, Stiles, and Downing as the planners of the robbery. Downing and some members of the gang were arrested and sent to jail in Tombstone, since he had been implicated in the earlier robbery at Cochise as well. At the time, train robbery was a capital offense in Arizona. Downing's trial was set for December 10, 1900 in the Tombstone Courthouse. On April 7, 1900, Stiles went to Tombstone and went to the jailhouse. He shot Deputy Marshal George Bravin in the foot and freed the gang members who were in the jail. However, he left Downing behind. During the trial, some of the members of the Alvord gang turned against Downing and testified against him. Sounds like we have a patsy, folks. Stiles and Matt Burtz were among those who testified for the prosecution. However, the majority of the jurors believed the capital punishment was not justified in cases where there were no deaths. The jury foreman announced before Judge Russell... Davis, that even though the jurors believed Downing was guilty, they refused to return a guilty verdict because of the capital punishment issue. Even though Downing was acquitted in the robbery case, he was found guilty of interfering with the U.S. mail in a federal charge and sentenced to 10 years to be served in the Yurma Territorial Prison. It was built by prisoners in 1875. The prison opened while Arizona was still a U.S. territory, and the conditions in the prison were pretty harsh. Downing served a total of seven years in prison and was finally released for good behavior. They said he was a model prisoner, according to the warden at the time. Downing returned to Wilcox upon his release from prison and opened a saloon, which he named the Free and Easy Saloon on the corner of Maley Street. Wilcox at the time had an ordinance which forbade gambling, prostitution, and the serving of alcohol to women. Downing was was known as one to defy the law, and he hired prostitutes who were highly skilled pickpockets. The constable at the time, Bud Snow, and Ranger Speed arrested Downing for serving women at the Free and Easy. Downing encountered Arizona Ranger William Slaughter Billy Speed before. Speed was among the jurors who acquitted Downing in the 1899 killing of William S. Slim Trainer. trainer, remember that one? Despite that, they became bitter enemies. Downing pleaded guilty and paid a $50 fine. The very next day, though, he was arrested again, this time for assaulting a barber. Again, he pleaded guilty and paid a fine for $10. The citizens of Wilcox actually got tired of Downing, and they sent a citizen's petition to Harry Wheeler, the captain of the Arizona Rangers, requesting protection from the drunken, unruly saloon keeper. Wheeler received word that Downing had threatened to kill any officer who interfered with him. Thus, Wheeler ordered his men to kill Downing on the spot without any hesitation. Downing, who had problems with Kuko Leal, a prostitute who lived in a saloon, he went to the office of Constable Snow to complain and to ask that she be removed. I'm sorry, she went to the officer office of Constable Snow to complain and to ask that she be removed from his saloon. At the same time, he also warned that if Ranger Speed ever stuck his head inside of the door of his saloon, he would shoot it off. The following day, a saloon customer complained that someone had stolen some of his money. Johnny jumped to the conclusion that it was Kuko. He confronted and beat her. She then ran to the ranchman's corral's saloon whose owner was george mckittrick a rival of downing mckittrick told Leal to stay in a saloon and stay clear of the free and easy one mckittrick then went to justice page and told him about the downing Leal situation page issued a warrant for downing's arrest and handed the warrant to constable bud snow the constable went to ranger speed's house and asked him to join in presenting the warrant the following morning downing was in his saloon drinking whiskey he decided that he would show up in Judge Page's office to discuss the legal situation. He got up to go and at the same time left his gun behind. When he stepped out the door he noticed that Constable Snow was heading towards the saloon and he ran back inside. He did not notice that Ranger Speed was accompanying the constable. Once they reached the saloon, Constable Snow told Speed to guard the back door of the saloon, which was located by an alley. Ranger Speed loaded his thirty caliber Winchester and headed towards the alley door. Downing thought that the constable would come in through the front door And decided to leave the saloon through the back When he went out the back He came face to face with Ranger Speed The ranger ordered him to surrender But Downing made a gesture as if he was reaching for his gun Forgetting that he had left his weapon in the saloon The ranger then raised his Winchester and fired The bullet from Speed's rifle entered through Downing's right breast Punctured his right lung and exited beneath his right shoulder blade He died immediately So that was the quick demise of Downing. Arizona Ranger Captain Wheeler made the following remark. This is the first time, this is quote, first time I have known a dead man to be without a single friend and the first time that I have known a killing to meet absolute general rejoicing in all of a town, end quote. The coroner's jury found that the shot fired by Ranger Speed was in the performance of his duty as an officer and was justified in the act and exonerated from all blame in the matter. That's our story about Bill Downing. Next time, we'll probably talk about Jesse 3 Finger Jack. We'll see what that's all about. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement.